My name's Paul. Good evening. <laughs> uh, I think it was last time I spoke, I showed you this picture. Um, this is the church in Trapia in northeast Brazil. Is there anyone here that's been there? Anyone this evening? One, two, three. Yes, yeah, so that's the four. My sister Deb, Deb grew up there, so I think she's been there a few times. Um, I shared about how the church, after many, many years of struggling, has come into a period of growth. This was a baptism, so all those people with the certificates have just been baptized. Um, and we were thanking God as a church for the, for the growth uh, in that church. So we've partnered with that church. Well, the work there started in the late 80s. Um, and over the last few months, something that often happens as churches grow is, I, I think basically my belief is the devil doesn't like the church to grow and to be active. Um, and something that's come up as a result of that is there's, ha- there's been some division and some bitterness within the church. And that's been it's come to a point where it was very difficult and delicate. Um, And they had a meeting a few weeks ago where a few issues were resolved. And then as a church this morning, we prayed. They were having a meeting at midday, our time today. Um, And they had a meeting, and that meeting went about as well as it could have done. So if you were here this morning, thank you for praying. But for you guys, if you could remember to pray, this is the new leadership of the church. Um, Pray in in particular for the guy there, I love using the laser pointer. Um, the guy with the black T-shirt there, that's Edilson, who leads the church. So if you remember to, if you could pre- please pray for them, there's still a number of issues of bitterness and division in that church. So as the church grows, if you could remember to pray. The second thing, something God's been putting on my mind for a while, and he won't leave me alone about it. Um, so I, last week I cracked and I said I'd talk about it this week, um, is the issue of care for the elderly. Uh, Some of you know I was a carer for quite a few years, Um, but God's just been putting it on my heart again and again and again that as a community, we could honor and care for our older people a little bit better, and God's been putting that weight on my mind and my heart. So if that's something that resonates with you, um, this coming Friday at 6 p.m., Friday the 3rd of February, in the lounge just behind there, just through those doors, Uh, We're going to have a prayer meeting um, on the theme, on the topic of caring for older people. So if that's something that would excite you or that resonates with you, you'd be very welcome to come and be there. Don't come if you're thinking, oh, I better be there or I'll feel guilty. Um, If that's you, don't come. But if it's something you think, oh, that would be exciting, I'd like to be involved in that, uh, in seeing how as a church community we could serve the elderly a bit better, then you'd be more than welcome. Um, Spoke to a few people this morning who are keen to come. Great. Thank you. Um, I said I was a carer. Something you'd often see uh, in end-of-life care is people beginning to struggle with their breathing. And I wonder, have you thought about your breathing recently? Weird question. You're you're doing it right now. (laughs) Um, Here's a question, quiz question for you. On On average, how many times do we breathe every 24 hours? This is according to the internet. Different people breathe at different rates, but on average, how many times does the average human breathe in a 24-hour period? So it's a quiz question. We've got four answers. Is it A, 5,000 times? Is it B, 20,000 times? Is it C, 50,000 times? Or is it D, 100,000 times? Hands up for A. Hands up for B. Hands up for C. Hands up for D. 
pretty even spread. And the correct answer, according to the internet, is B, about 20,000 times. I think it's anywhere between 17,000 and 30,000 times in a 24-hour period. There you go. Learned something new today. It says this in the book of Acts. It says that God, he himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And just as we start tonight, I wonder, could we just do something? If you're comfortable to, to, could you just close your eyes? Just for a moment, just close your eyes and start to pay attention to your breathing. As you breathe in and as you breathe out. And just for a moment, let, let all the things that have been going around in your head today, if there's any worries or things you wish were happening or anxiety, anything you're cross about, just let that go to one side and just think about your breathing for a moment. Breathe in, breathe out. Now, according to the Bible, each of those breaths that you're taking is a gift that's being given to you. In each moment, you're receiving a gift. Each time you inhale, that's a gift to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to make that air exist. You didn't make your lungs or the passages that carry the air into them. You can't control the oxygen that's pumping around to your different organs right now. Each breath is a gift to you from God. And all of your life, up until this moment, and hopefully beyond this moment, he's given you breath. Tens of thousands of them every day. Think about all the breaths you've been given. Some of us have had more breaths than others. And this is amazing to me. Even in the times in your worst moments when you were most nasty or selfish or horrible, even in those moments, God still gave you breath. Even in the moments when you were hurting somebody else, God was still giving you breath. And in the times when you felt most strong and independent and successful, in those moments, God was still giving you the breath that you needed. Okay, you can open your eyes now if you want. <laughs> the last few times I've been speaking, I've been working way through the book of Genesis. Um, if you're not familiar with Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible. It has 50 chapters. Um, the last time I spoke, we did chapter 5. So just a quick recap. There's the creation story. God makes the world, and he makes it good. All of the, the land and the animals and the birds and the trees. And he makes human beings in his image. And he makes them good too. And then as you get into chapter 3, there's the fall. Adam and Eve choose to go against what God wants. And they, and they fall and they sin. And they, they turn away from God. And there are consequences to that. And then Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. All of this is on YouTube. The different talks going through the chapters of Genesis. And Cain kills Abel and God sends him away. And then chapter 5, there was the genealogy. Do you remember the long list of names of the really long ages, huge ages? Um, and then right at the end of chapter 5, it talks about a man called Lamech. And Lamech has a son. This is right towards the end of chapter 5. And he calls his son Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So this evening, we arrive at... Genesis chapter 6, and it's the beginning of the story of Noah. 
And as it's the beginning of the story of Noah, who better to read the chapter to us than Mr. Noah Rapong? So thank you, Noah. Noah's going to come and read. This is all of Genesis chapter 6. Just give you a moment to strap on your seatbelts. There you go. Thanks, Noah. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born from them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any, any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The, Nephilim, the Nephilim were on, on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans, and went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, they were the heroes of old, men of, of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth, and His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the, uh, the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and, his, Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with, the, with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has, breath, has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of every two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every bird, of every animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as, just as God commanded him. Brilliant. Thanks, Noah. That's good. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak through it today. 
and pray now, Lord, as we gather together, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us the words of Jesus? Would you come and fill us, Holy Spirit? Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, over the years, something kind of strange has happened with the story of Noah's Ark. It's quite a popular Sunday school story. A lot of you will know it from Sunday school. And there's boats, and there's animals, and it's, quite, it's become quite kind of fun and colorful, and you can get Playmobil Noah's Ark, and it's quite fun and exciting, which is, which is a little bit odd when you actually think about what the story of Noah is. When you read the passage we've just read, it's a little bit odd. It's a bit like, you know, the, the nursery rhyme, ringa, ringa, roses, a pocket full of poses, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. Pretty sure that's about the bubonic plague, which wiped out, was it half of Europe? It's like, great, let's, let's sing that to our children. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, it's a bit like that with the story of Noah's Ark. You could say, sorry, forgive me for this joke, but I thought it was quite good. You could say that we've watered down the story of the flood. Hey, sorry, thanks. <laughs> um, so all we're going to do this evening is we're going to focus in on three words that are in this chapter, in Genesis chapter 6, um, and see what we can learn from them. And I'll pre-warn you now, this passage is quite heavy. There's not really a, a way of lightening it up and making it fun. It's quite a heavy passage. Um, when I used to work at the nursing home, and you'd be caring for people right at the end of their lives, I would often pray for people um, while I was giving them care. In my mind, I'd be praying for them, and I'd be hoping that they understood something of the Christian message of the gospel. Um, and this talk tonight, I think in Genesis chapter 6, we have all of the elements of the basic Christian message of the gospel. Um, so if you don't take anything else away from t- tonight, at least you will have heard something of what it is to be a Christian, what the, the basic Christian message is. Um, and I think this is something that, that everyone, I, my hope would be that everyone would know this as they come to face the end of their own lives. So let's get straight into it. Um, you might have noticed in those early verses, they're a bit strange. There's some strange references. It talks about the sons of God and the daughters of humans and the Nephilim. These were the heroes of old, men of renown. And people get really excited about who are the Nephilim? Were they giants? Who are the sons of God? Were they angels? Um, people get really excited about stuff like that. Uh, and you can, you can, there's loads written about it. It's, and so a lot of it's quite interesting. Um, Sometimes reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is a little bit like talking to someone, talking with someone who's from a completely different cultural background. Don't know if you've ever talked to someone who English isn't their first language. Um, and it's a little bit like that. And it's, it's quite important not to get stuck on the details, but try and take a step back and see the bigger picture. So I'll give you an example. My sister Julia, that's Julia with her daughter Eden, uh, she lives up in Manchester and her neighbours from Syria and English isn't her first language. And this week, my sister went round to a neighbor's house, and her neighbor invited her into the front room and said, would you like a tea or a coffee? And my sister said, I'll have a cup of tea, please. And then she said, would you like milk, sugar? And my sister said, oh, just milk. And she said, just milk? Yeah, just milk. Would you like it warm? Yeah, yeah, warm milk, thanks. So she went off into the kitchen and came back with a mug of just warm milk, just milk. <laughs> My sister didn't say anything. But sometimes things get a little, a little bit lost in translation if you focus in too much on the detail. 
And it can be a little bit like that with the Bible. There are some things in the Old Testament that are weird or quite terrible and some strange things that go on and the Old Testament gives no comment on it at all. And it's really important before jumping to conclusions to just take a step back and try and see what's going on in the wider picture. So in this case, um, just a quick summary of, of what people think around the Nephilim and the sons of God and the daughters of men. For many years, up until around the time of Jesus, people generally believed that the sons of God were angels and the daughters of men were human beings and that they intermarried and their children were the Nephilim. The word Nephilim means fallen ones and that they were giants or powerful people in some way. Around the time of Jesus, there, there kind of was a split in thinking and people started thinking maybe there were different thoughts, but one popular one was that the sons of God are the line of Seth descended from Adam and the daughters of men were the descendants of Cain and that the fallen ones were because the ones that were walking with God started to marry the ones that weren't walking with God and they, and they kind of fell. You can read all about this for hours if you want to. If you're interested, I can point you in kind of those directions. But the truth is, who are the Nephilim? Who are the sons of God? We don't know for sure. The Old Testament doesn't always explain everything. And we have to kind of read between the lines. And the important thing to notice here is, and all the rabbis and the, the, the scholars agree, that the direction of travel of humanity is that it's heading in a direction that's not good. And you notice that in the verse that comes next to that verse. The Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. So God limits human life to a certain point. So whatever those early verses are about, something is going wrong. Why would God be limiting the length of human life. We come on to verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So God's made human beings to be good in his image. And that wasn't that long ago in the story. And then we get to verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Do you see that repeated word there? The word that's repeated three times in those verses. Corrupt. And that's our first word we're focusing in on. It's the word corrupt. If you go online, this is the Merriam-Webster dictionary. It has four basic definitions of the word corrupt. And I think all of them apply to what's going on here. Number one, to change from good to bad in morals, manners, or actions. Number two, to degrade with unsound principles or moral values. Number three, to rot or spoil. And then this fourth one's mainly used in in, um, computers, talking about files. But I think it applies really well to the, the, the state of humanity at the start of Genesis. And it's to alter from the original or correct form or version. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And as we look around us today, we don't need to look very far for evidence of corruption. I wonder if you've read the news recently.
And all through the Bible, I'm just going to pick out one bit that I read the other night. This issue of the corruption of the human hearts there, all through the Bible. This is Psalm 14, just the beginning of Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And I think most of us, if we stop and pay attention, we're aware that the human race is corrupt. We can see it on our tellies. We can see it in our neighborhoods. We can see it in our workplaces. We can even see it at home. But if you pay attention, it says there is no one who does good, not even one. If we go back to Genesis chapter 6, all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And this is something now that's really important to understand. Without understanding this, we can't understand what Jesus is about. Without getting our heads around this, the cross doesn't really make any sense. It's really easy to see corruption around us in the world. But if we're honest, it's much harder to see it in here, in our own heart, in our own mind. It says in the book of Proverbs, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. And I think so often, if we're honest with ourselves, we think we're basically good people going about our lives. I think we're basically good people. And we ignore what's going on deep inside us, especially somewhere like church. We're so good at taking on social cues and working each other out. And we're so good at acting polite that we can put a really good cover and we look really nice and presentable. Look at me, I've got a belt on today. I never wear a belt. We look nice and presentable and we speak well, but we ignore what's going on on the inside, what's really going on when we're by ourselves, what's going on down deep inside us. We act polite, but inside we're so often selfish full of anger, pleasure-seeking. And then when we do notice that corruption inside ourselves, I don't know about you, but what I do is I justify myself. I say, it's fine, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm just an ordinary person. Just an ordinary person, not perfect, just an ordinary person. It's all right. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, this um, Friday just gone was Holocaust Memorial Day, this last Friday. Um, and there was a piece on the Holocaust Memorial Day website that someone in my family pointed out to me. And uh, it was a very well-written piece. And the theme of Holocaust Memorial Day this year was ordinary people. Uh, and this is just an extract from that piece of writing. You can find it on their website. It says this, talking about ordinary people. It says, genocide is facilitated by ordinary people. Ordinary people turn a blind eye believe propaganda, join murderous regimes. Ordinary people were involved in all aspects of the Holocaust, Nazi persecution of other groups, and in the genocides that took place in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, and Darfur. Ordinary people were perpetrators, bystanders, rescuers, witnesses, and ordinary people were victims. That's what ordinary people were like in history. 
And that's what ordinary people were like in Noah's day. And if we pay attention and we're truly honest with ourselves, that's what ordinary people are like in Sutton Coldfield today. The same problem that's out there exists here inside me. And even the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he said this about himself. He said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul could see that in himself. And so that first word from Genesis chapter 6 is corrupt. And it asks us two really important questions. Number one, in what ways am I corrupt? And number two, how has my corruption affected the world this week? We're just going to pause for a moment there. Um, and as we think on those two questions, I'd just like to gently suggest that if you can't think of anything, then you're probably in quite a lot of trouble because you're probably corrupt and blind. Let's just pause for a moment. In what ways am I corrupt, and how has my corruption affected the world this week? So, God made the world to be good. He gave people life and breath and everything, and people chose to be corrupt. We fill the world with our corruption and violence, and it's getting worse and worse and worse by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6. And so what's the right thing for God to do? What's the right thing for God to do? Going back to Genesis chapter 6, this is verse 13. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And that word destroy is the second word we're looking at. Nice and uplifting for your Sunday evening. Corrupt and destroy. <laughs> and I wonder, in your own mind, as you think about the story of Noah, is God cruel in bringing the flood? Is God doing something wrong when he stops corruption? If God gave everybody lungs and breath, does he have the right to take them away? Now, Donald, something I really appreciate about this church, something I think this church is excellent at, and Donald has a real emphasis on, and I think it's wonderful, is talking about the grace of God in Jesus, the way God's grace is given to us through Jesus and God's mercy and kindness towards us. And I think that's a really good thing to have an emphasis on as a church. But there's something else that Donald's very clear on. And Donald's really clear that when Jesus comes, when there's the new heaven and the new earth, God will not allow evil to come in. And the Bible's really clear that God is a righteous judge. He doesn't tolerate evil. He doesn't tolerate corruption. Now, as you read the, as you, as you, in your own time, as you read the Old Testament, there's a really useful tool 
that you'd be unwise not to use, and that's the New Testament. So it's really wise, as you're reading the Old Testament, to ask, what is it that the New Testament, what does Jesus say about this passage? What do the apostles who, who, who sat at the feet of Jesus, what do they say about this passage? And the New Testament has quite a lot to say about the story of Noah. Um, and something that's quite repeated quite a bit is that the story of Noah is a picture of something that's going to happen in the future. That theme gets repeated quite a lot. So this is to Peter. This is the disciple Peter writing. Um, and he says this, talking about God. It says, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And the Bible talks a lot about this day, the day of judgment, the day when Jesus is coming, when Jesus is coming to judge and to destroy wickedness and evil. And Jesus talks about it quite a lot as well. This is Jesus talking about the story of Noah. Jesus says, For as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's Jesus talking about the day when he's coming. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so the word destroy and the picture that we see in Noah of what's coming in the future leaves us with an important question. The day is coming when Jesus is going to destroy corruption once and for all. And the simple question that comes with that is, are you ready? Are you ready for the day when Jesus is coming? If the trumpet sounded now and Jesus was to come now, would you be ready to speak with him? So, two really lovely words for your Sunday evening. Corrupt. The Bible's really clear about the problem of sin, that it's a problem that affects all of us. We've all become corrupt. And number two, destroy. The Bible's very clear that a day's coming, that the time of corruption on earth is limited, and a day's coming where God's going to come and he's going to put an end to it, and that'll be it. But the good news is, thank God... That's not the whole picture. We've got a third word to look at. And there's one more thing that the New Testament talks about in the story of Noah that gets repeated again and again. So just as the story of Noah is a picture of corruption and the destruction that comes because of it, there's a third word, and it's found here in verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And that's our third word we're looking at tonight. Last word is the word favor. So just as the story of Noah is a picture of sin and judgment, it's also a picture of something else. Think about this, right? A man-made wooden structure is raised up as God's judgment comes down. One man is preparing a space with many rooms for those that are going to be saved from the judgment. The righteousness of one man 
saves his family. Their righteousness doesn't even get mentioned. It's because of him that they get saved. And the world, which is under death and judgment, goes down into water, but comes up in new life with animals and a new covenant, a new relationship with God. What does that remind you of? The story of Noah is pointing towards the story of another man, the story of Jesus. So if we just take that, those things and apply them to Jesus, a man-made wooden structure, a cross, is raised up as the judgment of God comes down on corruption. One man, Jesus, prepares a space with many rooms. My Father's house has many rooms for those that are going to be saved from the judgment. The righteousness of one man saves his whole family from the judgment. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, it says in the Bible. And those of us that go down into the waters of judgment and accept we're corrupt, we go down into the waters of judgment because of Jesus, we come up into a new life, a new covenant relationship with God. Anyone who comes to Jesus, if you don't know Jesus tonight, if you come to Jesus tonight, you'll be saved from the judgment that's coming. The Bible's really clear on that. And we find favor, just like Noah did, but because of Jesus. It says this, Jesus talking in John chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. That's what the good news is. That's what the gospel is. We have a God who doesn't just leave us to our corruption and to be destroyed. He walks across the water to us and says, here I am. So as we finish the story of Genesis chapter 6, you might be asking, well, well oh, sorry, I missed a question. The question as a result of favor is just really simply, is God's favor in your life? Do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus has saved you from judgment? Is that something that's real in your life tonight? Because it can be. Tonight you can cross over from death into life if you want to. All you need to do is ask him. So what can we do as a result of Genesis chapter 6? That first word, corruption. Donald says it all the time. All you have to do is admit the problem that's inside you and ask God for his help. That's all you have to do as a result of corruption. That word, destroy. There is a judgment that's coming, but if we come to Jesus, we won't be judged. And it might be that you've decided to follow Jesus, that Jesus is a part of your life, but you haven't been baptized yet. Why not do it soon? Why not talk to someone tonight? Why not go through the waters of baptism? It's what Jesus says. He says, turn away from your old life and be baptized. And you might say, well, I've done that, but I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling to live like Jesus. That word favor says very clearly in the book of Acts, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you live a life like the life that Noah did said Noah walked faithfully with God 
And then the last verse of chapter 6, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that's the life we can begin to walk towards with the Holy Spirit with us. As we, as we finish, let's just, let's just close our eyes again and, and, and let's pray. Think again about your breathing. Jesus, thank you that you look at us in all our corruption and you love us. Thank you that you're good and you're perfect and you don't tolerate evil. And thank you that the destruction that we rightly deserved, you came and you took on yourself on the cross. And thank you that because of what you did, we find favor that we never deserved. And we get to be saved from the judgment because of what you did. And Lord, now as we breathe in and breathe out the breath that you're giving us, help us to use each one of those breaths to do something that pleases you, to do what you would have us do instead of corrupting your world. Help us to walk faithfully with you, just like Noah did. And help us as a church community to do everything that you want us to do here and now. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.